Well, I know that for many of you, uh, when a holiday like this comes, you have an opportunity to be with uh, part of your family. So many of you maybe even have a brother or sister here with you today. Go ahead and raise your hand. If you have a brother or sister here with you today, like family, brother, or sister, there's a lot of you that do. And here's what happens in families, I know, because I have a couple brothers and a sister as well. You've probably noticed that one sibling seems to get more of your parents' attention than the other ones. Have you noticed that before? If that sibling's here with you, go ahead, like, don't call their name out. Just look at them. Just, just kind of <laughs> give them a sideways glance. Like, they're the one who always gets more attention. Sometimes that happens, that the parents give more attention to one child because that child is like a model child. And every other kid in the family feels like you've got to try to measure up. Some of you are saying amen right now because you've been that one trying to measure up and looking up to another kind of model family member who gets all the attention. But sometimes in some families, the one who gets all the attention is the one who often is the biggest mess right? That, that they've found ways to mess up other things in maybe small ways when they were little, and then bigger messes as they got bigger, and sometimes it feels like, well, they get all the attention now. The Apostle Paul was a missionary who was saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus and then went about sharing the gospel all over Asia and Europe, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would Preached the gospel, God would save people, he would start new churches, and he loved all of his new brothers and sisters in Christ, but some of them ended up getting more attention than the others. Two of Paul's longest letters that he wrote were written to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth got more of Paul's attention, not because they were the model child, but because they were the messy child. And so, we're going to look today at one of those letters. This is the letter of 1 Corinthians. And in this letter, we're going to get a sense, just let me give you a quick background. Most of the book of 1 Corinthians, most of the letter, is concerned with Paul addressing the various messes in the life of the church in Corinth. And it's maybe understandable why things were such a mess over and over and over again in the church of Corinth. It's because probably the church in Corinth was made up of people who were citizens of Corinth. And Corinth was a city that was a very worldly city. Just to get a sense of kind of what life in Corinth was like, just outside of the city, kind of the center of of the worship of the people there, Christless pagan idolaters would go and worship at the temple, worship at the temple of the goddess of love, Aphrodite. This is the kind of thing that the people there were saved out of. Just kind of a pleasure-filled, self-centered kind of living. But by God's grace, the gospel is preached there and some of them are saved. And now they're a part of the church. But even though our salvation happens in an instant, you know, like our justification does, uh, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And so it's not all that surprising that the church in Corinth is a messy church. And so it makes sense that Paul would address a lot of those messes. But as we near the end of this letter, we get to the longest chapter in the whole book, where Paul makes clear, in spite of all of these messes that need some attention, 
Here's the thing that is of first importance. The one thing that rises above every single mess that you're facing right now, the one thing that rises above that is what we're going to look at today. A chapter focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and really especially focused on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's an appropriate passage for us to look at today because I think that just as the most important message for the church in Corinth with all of its messes 2,000 years ago in Greece is the same message that is of first importance despite all of our messes in the church in Iowa Falls in the year 2022. So, if you're able to, would you stand as we read the very Word of God. Let's pray first because we need help. Father, I need help. Um, My confidence isn't in me or in the words that I've written or the study that I have done. My confidence is in you and the work that you intend to do by your Spirit working through your Word. And I'm confident that you have each of the people here, those that trust in Jesus and those that do not yet trust in Jesus, that you have them here for a purpose. And so God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, who is able not only to work in the words that I'm preaching, but also in the hearts of all who are here, would you be at work now to accomplish your purposes for your glory to build up your church in Jesus' name, amen. Here is the Word of God from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-11. through 11. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the Word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Amen. You can be seated. Well, inside your bulletin, there is a sermon outline. If it's helpful for you to take notes, you can do that, Um, uh, but you don't have to. Uh, Here's how the passage is structured, I think. It's really an introduction to a full chapter. If you look at the whole chapter, there's 58 verses talking basically about the resurrection of Jesus and why that matters. Super important chapter. We can't go through all of it today. We're going through the first 11 verses Verse 11 kind of summarizes what Paul has said so far, and that is, I preached, we preached. It's not just a message that only Paul preaches, it's a message that all the apostles are preaching. Paul preached, and their response was believing. Like, we preached, you believed. And so that's, that's where it starts there in verse 11, and it's kind of set up like a sandwich. Verses 1 and 2 in verse 11 talk about, here's what happened, 
And here's the response and its effects. And verses 1 and 2 talk about the response they had to the gospel and how that has affected them. And in the middle of the sandwich, the meat of the sandwich is verses 3 through 10. And that's where we're going to start today, by looking at the meat, where it talks about really what the gospel is. This message that is being preached that has an effect on so many people, the meat of it there is in verses 3 through 10. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 10. Paul begins that section this way, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Notice he's talking about something he's already done. He's not giving them new news that they've never heard before. For many of you, this is not the first time you've been at an Easter service, right? You've been at maybe a lot of them. I don't think I've ever missed one in my 41 years of life so far, right? Maybe you haven't either, and maybe you have more years than I do. But Paul is telling them something he's already told them. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. Note this also about the message that Paul's delivering. It's one he's delivering, but it's one he's also received. Paul, Paul's not like cooking this up in the kitchen somewhere because he's a super creative guy. It's just a message that he's received and he's delivering. Just kind of a conduit. It's going through him. Right? And what is this message that is of first importance? In the face of all of their messes, what is he saying gets elevated to first importance? What I see here in verses 3 and 4, if someone were to ask me, because we as Christians often use the word gospel, they were saying, like, what, is, what does the Bible say the gospel is? I would say the most clear definition of the gospel in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. And here's what it is. This is of first importance, Paul says. This message, that Christ died. Okay, so it begins, the gospel message begins with that Christ died. Christ, that is the Messiah of Israel, that is the King, the anointed promised one, the eternal Son of God, died. And there was a purpose for our sins. He died for our sins. That is, as our substitute. One who stands in our place. He's dying for our sins. Not for his sins because he didn't have any. But he was dying for our sins as our substitute. So after I graduated from college, I was going to be a a high school teacher. Uh, Before I went to seminary, I got my teaching license and I got to be a substitute for a while. Right. So I had opportunities uh, and I would get called and, and be asked if I wanted to be a substitute, and I could willingly commit to standing in for a teacher, to coming and taking the place. Jesus willingly died as our substitute. So for our sins refers to the substitutionary death of Jesus. And then he says, in accordance with the scriptures, Paul is likely referring to the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, probably a spot like Isaiah 53. That clearly showed that this suffering servant would come and die a substitutionary death in the place of God's people. So that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Verse 4, that he was buried. Well, Jesus was buried because he was really dead. Not fake dead, but really dead. And what we do with really dead bodies is we bury them. And so Jesus was laid in a tomb. And then the rest of verse 4 that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. 
That's what we're celebrating today. That Jesus, who died in our place for our sins, was buried, but was also on the third day raised from the dead. And this also happened in accordance with the scriptures. So if you want to look like, what's the heart of the gospel? The heart of the gospel, gospel just means good news, right? What's the good news? The heart of the good news is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's at the very heart of the gospel. If you don't have those things, you don't have the gospel. In fact, that's what Paul will say later, right? Here's why, here's why this is so important. Verse 17, later, we're not going to look at all of these, but verse 17 says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, right? So this, this reality, uh, this news of something that happened in history the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus matters because if it didn't happen, then go home and have brunch, right? You're wasting your time. And those of you who've been following Jesus for years, you're wasting your life if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead because we're still in sin. We're enslaved to sin if it were not for Jesus' death and resurrection. All right, so that's the heart of the gospel. Let's just acknowledge this, though. Resurrection is a hard thing to believe in. Like, if you, if you sit back and think about it, all of us have been to funerals before. We've read obituaries in the paper. We've been to a funeral where we've seen a body laid in a casket, and then we've seen that casket closed, and then we've walked out maybe to the graveside service and seen that casket then even lowered into the ground. And so there's, I always say when I do a graveside service, that there's like a sense of finality about this. It just feels final, maybe even not so much at various points, but when you're out in a cemetery surrounded by graves, right, there's something that feels very final about that. That makes resurrection hard to believe because we don't expect that that person whose funeral we were at, whose graveside service we were at, whose casket, whose body was in a casket that was lowered into the ground. We don't expect we're going to run into them at Walmart, right? We don't expect that because death seems final. And so Paul acknowledges that reality that that he can't just say Christ was raised from the dead and everybody's going to be like, oh yeah, we get that. No, he gives proof. He gives proof here that Christ was raised from the dead, and we see two proofs in verses 5 through 10. We're not going to go through these in as much detail, But I want you to just quickly note, there's two proofs that Paul gives for the resurrection of Jesus. The first is Jesus' appearances. If you look at verses 5 through 8, you see that word appeared show up many, many times. Kind of got the order of Jesus' appearances. And he even makes note of the fact that these people to whom Jesus appeared, the Jesus who died on the cross, the Jesus who was buried in the tomb, and the Jesus who was raised from the dead appeared to many people. And he makes a point of telling them that this Jesus is alive and you can go talk to the people who saw him. Right? Some of them have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism for death. But many of them are still alive. Like You can ask them questions. People who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection are still living at the time that Paul writes this letter, and you can go talk to them about it. Then Paul gets a little more personal when he recognizes kind of the second proof of the resurrection is God's grace toward him. 
we as a church have been walking through the book of Acts for quite some time and just got done. And in the book of Acts, we read of Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, who had this encounter with Jesus and was saved and became a missionary, planting churches rather than persecuting churches. And Paul acknowledges here, one of the proofs of the resurrection of Jesus is that he, uh, Jesus appeared to him. And, and from that point on, Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He's been working really hard, like the other apostles, to make sure the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. And so that's what we see in verses 5 through 10. We hear what the gospel is. The death of Jesus for our sins, his burial, and his resurrection. So if that's what the gospel is, the gospel is the good news about what Jesus did to save sinners, we need to recognize that the good news for us, like it was for Paul, is that God can save any sinner. Like, you didn't come in here today where you're like, well, you don't know, like, my list. You're right, I don't know your list. But God knows your list of all the reasons that you would give for why you can't be saved. But Jesus died for our sins sins. And he can save any sinner, even one as messed up as Paul once was, even ones as messed up as the people in Corinth once were, even ones as messed up as I once was. But this message about the death and resurrection of Jesus has an effect. It needs to be responded to. It's had an effect for Paul, it's had an effect on the church in Corinth, and it's had an effect on many of our lives here today. So why is it so important? Why does Paul say this is of first importance? I mean, they got all sorts of real problems facing them, but Paul says this is of first importance. Why does he say that? Well, let's go ahead and look at the kind of ends of this passage. Verse 11 is really quite simple. It ends with, so we preached and so you believed. So we preached and so you believed. That's how the church in Corinth became a part of the church. Not just by like going to a building with a group of people. That's not how they became a part of the church. They became a part of the church when they heard the gospel message and they believed, right? But then verses 1 and 2 go into a lot more detail about how they responded to this of first importance good news. So let's, let's spend a little time looking at verses 1 and 2 and then applying it to us. Verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers. So again, this is not news to them. This is a reminder to them. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. So it's good news to be preached. And then Paul starts talking about their response. Which you received. This is how those that are now, not everybody, certainly many people in Corinth heard the gospel from Paul and they rejected it. They loved their their pleasure-filled, self-centered lives, and they wanted to keep living it. So many rejected it. But those that Paul is writing to, the church in Corinth, they're the people that responded to the gospel by receiving it. Right? And so Paul is writing to them, reminding them of something that happened in the past. So, So if you're kind of a grammar nerd like I am, this is a past tense verb. It's something that they received. Right? Something they already have done. They received the gospel. But then he moves on and he says this. In which you stand. In which you stand. 
So the gospel is something they at one time in the past had received, but Paul is now talking about the present effect of the gospel. He's saying in which you stand. Going back to grammar stuff, this is what's called a perfect indicative. It's not used very much, but it's referring to something that is a current state of affairs because of something that happened in the past. There was a past action receiving the gospel that allows them to now have this present state of affairs where they are people who have something to stand on. The rest of the people in Corinth who have not received the gospel have nothing to stand on. What they're standing on is shifting. I went to, my parents uh, moved into a townhome, and up by their townhome there's a, there's a park, I think it's attached by, by a school. And there's this, there's this thing you can stand on uh, that looks like, oh, that looks like it would be fun, but it's not fun. Uh, I think it's supposed to like mimic a surfboard or something, but it's this little platform, and it's on one spring. And you try to stand on it, and the spring just moves all over the place, and, and you can't do it. That's what's happening to everybody else in Corinth who has rejected the gospel. They're trying to stand, build their life on things that will never hold. But the people who have received the gospel are those who are now standing on it. Because they received it, they're now standing on it. So, that you received in which you stand. And then verse 2, and by which you are being saved. So that verb is a passive verb. That's something that's happening to them. And it's an ongoing thing. Notice that are being. Not that they were saved, but that they are being saved. This is a work that God began when they received the gospel. At that moment, they are justified. They are adopted. But there is a sense in which our salvation is an ongoing work of God that won't be culminated until Jesus returns and we have our our, our forever life with him in our newly resurrected body. So he tells them, This is the gospel by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. So what they're doing is they're holding fast. This gospel that they once received, that they're now standing on, he's calling them to hold fast to it. They're holding fast to it is going to be evidence that they are the ones that God is saving. Right? So, that's verses 1 and 2. Let's, let's apply this to us. We have a lot of messy stuff in our life, right? A lot of messes, a lot of important things that need our attention. And it's not just our messes. We got the messes of people that we love. We're trying to kind of like give attention to what needs attention. It feels like a lot of things need our attention, right? We live in a broken sinful world. That's the first words we sang in that song. Do you feel the world is broken? And we sang, we do, because we do. It's broken. We're a mess. But Paul is reminding us here what is of first importance. And so I'm going to ask three life-changing questions in response to the gospel, because the gospel is of first importance. Now, I'm going to address two different groups of people. Because I really think there's only two different, we're all different in all sorts of different ways. We can categorize ourselves in all sorts of different ways. But an easy way to categorize us is there are people who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And there are people who have not. I'm going to first address those who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Because that's who Paul is addressing here. Here's three 
life-changing gospel response questions. Remember, the gospel is not about us and what we've done. It's about him and what he's done. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again. That happened almost 3,000, or sorry, almost 2,000 years ago. Bad math. And it's a message that needed to be received. So the first question is this. Have I received it? Have I received it? I recently had a doctor visit, and at that doctor visit, the doctor noticed one problem and diagnosed it and said, here is, here is a prescription that you need, and this will address the, the situation that you're dealing with. That, that prescription was sent in to the Walmart pharmacy, and I have yet to go pick it up. I have not received it, therefore it's not doing me any good, right? It's not having any effect on me. The gospel message that is proclaimed, the the diagnosis and the cure have both been proclaimed and unless you receive it, it doesn't do you any good. But Paul is writing to people, many of us are people who can look back and who can say, there was this time, and I I told you, I've, I've grown up, I was a church kid my whole life. I heard that message of the gospel over and over throughout my childhood, but it wasn't until I was born again to new life in Christ 23 years ago that I received this message, that I received the free gift of salvation given to me by God through faith in Jesus. Okay, so that's that's an important question. And for a lot of people that have maybe been in the church for a long time, one mistake that often gets made is the gospel is something that we need to hear once and receive it, and then that kind of gets us like our fire insurance, our ticket to heaven sometime off in the future. And it's like the gospel doesn't matter for right now. But remember that Paul is writing to people who have received it. And he's saying of all the stuff that you got to deal with, here's the most important thing, the thing that's of first importance, because the gospel is not just for people that haven't received it yet. The gospel is for those of us who need to hear it again and again and again, because we need to be reminded, this is that on which we are now standing, right? That's question number two. Am I standing on it? There are so many things in this world today that threaten to knock us off our feet. Have you noticed how windy it's been lately? It's been a windy spring. I was out one time this week talking to our neighbor who often, when he sees us outside, he likes to come and talk. And I'm so grateful that we get to have these conversations. We were actually standing in the road. He was holding on to his cane and a gust of wind came and I saw him totter a bit and got a little bit concerned about this, right? That, that, that's the world that we're living in right now. There's all sorts of stuff that can cause us to totter just a bit. The wind is strong. As we think about everything going on in the world around us, the changes we see in our culture, the struggles we see in our own household, the messes in our own minds, there's all sorts of things that could cause us to totter and we need to hear the gospel again and again. Not just one time so we respond to it by receiving it, but we're hearing it again and again that this might be the solid ground on which we are presently standing. This is of first importance for us. If our feet are set firmly on all that Jesus has accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection, then when the waves of doubt come, when the stormy winds of suffering come, We might get pushed around again, but we are locked in 
feet firmly set, grounded in the gospel? So are you standing in it? And then finally, will you hold fast to it? Will you hold fast to it? Christian, our salvation is assured, not yet complete until the return of Jesus. We have been saved and we are being saved. And we know this in part when we hold fast to the gospel. So we must commit ourselves daily. I'm going to hold tight. This I believe. I'm, I'm unsure of all sorts of other things. But this I hold fast to. Now I told you there was two groups of people and I wanted to address the other group. I wanted to address those of you that came here this morning and maybe you came because it's Easter and you're with family. Maybe you came because it's Easter and you feel like you should be here. Maybe you came because you come here all the time, yet if you look back, you can't point to a time when, hey, I heard this gospel and I just kind of like sit there and soak it in. You can't point to a time where you received the free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus. I want to make clear to you a couple of things this morning. I want to make clear to you some bad news. The diagnosis is that you are a sinner, you have offended God, and the prognosis is death. There's, there's a 100% chance. Like it's not looking good for you, both, both physical death and spiritual death. If nothing changes, and I'm not saying if you change, I'm not saying if you get it all together, because how many times have you tried to get it all together and maybe you were successful for about this long, right? So I'm not saying if anything changes, like you need to start working harder at getting better. I'm saying if nothing changes, if, if God doesn't do a supernatural work in you, causing you to be born again through faith in Jesus, if you don't recognize I'm a sinner who deserves God's punishment, but I'm hearing today this good news, this good news that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that you hear that. And if you today recognize that without him, I have no hope, I've got nothing to stand on. I'm on the playground getting knocked around by this goofy surfboard spring thing. Everything I've tried to stand on hasn't held me. And I'm falling apart. You need to hear the good news that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried and that he rose on the third day. There's not a way for you to conquer sin and death on your own. There, there's, there's all sorts of ways to continue to sin and to ultimately face death on your own. But there's not a way for you to conquer sin and death on your own. That has been done by Jesus, who died as our substitute in our place for our sins and who was buried and who rose again. That's how sin and death are conquered. He is our only hope. My hope for those of you that came in here today not being assured of that would be that you would today repent of your sin. That just means this is this, like sin is like my master. I just do what I want to do. But that today you would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be convicted of your sin. I'm not, I don't know exactly what you're going to feel. I don't think it's like necessarily like some tingly feeling. I don't know what, I don't know what you're going to feel. But that in your mind and in your heart, you're convinced I'm a sinner 
and I'm headed for eternal deserved punishment. But the good news is that, that Christ has died for my sins. The price has been paid and I can be raised to new life in Christ. And you begin to walk then in newness of life. So you can respond in the quietness of your heart. You can respond while we're singing a closing song. You can respond as you come and tell me, like, I, I think I need to trust in Jesus today. You can talk to somebody else you came with. You can do it when you get home this afternoon. But you need to confess to Jesus, right? That I believe Jesus is Lord and that you, God, have raised him from the dead and he is my only hope. And then you need to share that with other people. Today, we are reminded of really, really good news that has an impact on us, life-changing news. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again, and it matters today. Let's pray. Father, we have a lot of messes (laughs) that require probably a lot of our attention, but I'm thankful for a day to gather and remember what is of first importance. This may be important for us to have found the right clothing to wear and the right meal coming up. It's important for us to address all sorts of real struggles in our lives. But God, thank you that this message of first importance is in front of us today. Thank you that Jesus lived. Thank you that Jesus died for our sins. And thank you that Jesus rose from the dead. We acknowledge that without this good news, we have no hope. For those of us then who have received this message, would you help us? to stand on it, to hold fast as we experience your saving work. And for those here today who have not yet repented of sin and put their faith in Jesus, I pray that they would do that today and be made alive together with Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.